You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. Hopefully everybody had a good Thanksgiving and uh, all the Trypto fan is out of your system so you won't fall asleep uh, today. You guys not know what Trypto fan is? You guys need to go home and Google that. Um, so uh, we're in a series entitled Love Does, and uh, I'm glad you guys are here. Last week we had some apparel in the cafe, and some of you guys ordered that. And um, uh, if you order that, it'll be in here next Sunday. Um, you can go in there today and order some as well for the, for the jackets and for the sweatshirts. But um, today is a, is a big day for us, you know, as we continue to move uh, in the direction of understanding what God is, is leading us to do uh, missionally in our community, in our world. And um, so, uh, you know, when we think about um, what, what God is asking us to do, our scripture today is going to hit us right between the eyes. And so I'm excited to get there. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to James chapter 2. And as you're going there, I wonder, what do you think a real friend looks like? What does a, a true friend look like? Who, what do they act like? What, what do they look like in your life? What are th- some of the things they do and, and not do? Um, you know, I, I think that we can all kind of tell who our real friends are and who, you know, our, our, you know just an acquaintance might B. Uh, for instance, if you've got a Facebook account, I do, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pressing up to you know, a thousand friends on Facebook, but when you look at that, when you think about it, the truth is I, I, I probably don't know 85% of the people I'm friends with on Facebook. You know, like literally I don't know them. Like if I ran into them, I wouldn't know, you know who they are. And some of you are the same way. Many, most of us are the, in, in the same boat when it comes to that because that's not really um, a, a good gauge for who our real friends are. It's just kind of something that we're, we're doing culturally. And, and uh, when you think about it, uh, there, was a, there was a survey that a guy, a professor at Oxford University uh, did a couple of years ago. And he came to the conclusion through a study that the human brain only has the capacity to be in relationship with uh, upwards of 150 people. Uh, beyond that, we just don't have the capacity relationally to, to be engaged and to know any more people than that. So when you think about that, even out of that 150 um, people that we might call friends or that we know, uh, there are in, in that group levels of friendship, aren't they? There are people that we you know, really do know and who are really our, our friends, but, but there are many who we just kinda know. Now, if you were to ask Google what a true friend looks like, here are some of the things that culture is going to tell you. Um, Guys, put that first slide up there. So only your real friends will tell you when you have, uh, when your face is dirty, right? And so, by the way, there's just something about animals and and friend statements that just work, you know? And so, so, you know, so only, you know, friends will tell you when your face is dirty. So like when you're eating lunch this afternoon, you know, and you've got pepper in your teeth, you know, your real friends at the table are going to say, dude, you got something in your teeth. You know, for me, uh, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to laugh at you till you figure it out, you know. So, you know, if you've got a beard, you've always got like, you know, ketchup and you just don't know it. You know, real friends are going to tell you. Look at the next one. Real friends always have your back. Real friends always have your back as the monkey picks off the fleas off his back. So real friends have each other's back, right? In tough times and difficult uh, situations, uh, your real true friends are going to stick out for you and they're going to have your back in those times. And then finally, a real friend is one who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. That's touching. That's touching, especially with the pandas. So, you know, when the rest of the world is going to give up on you and walk out, 
You know, everybody else is going to give up. Your real friends are going to be there for you, right? So, I mean, when you ask culture what their view of true friendship looks like, you're going to get a general consensus, this general idea that your friends are those that you can count on. Your true friends, when you kind of boil it down, is someone who shows their love by their actions. When you think as, as, as kids, we don't really have a lot of qualifications for friendships, do we? You know, when you're a kid, this is what Jerry Seinfeld says in one of his bits. He's like, you know, as a kid, if you're in my front yard right now, you're my friend, you know? Are you a grown-up? Nope, come on in, let's play, you know? Do you like Cherry Coke? Yep, I like Cherry Coke, I do too. That might mean we're best friends, you know? Qualifications, very limited, very small. As a kid, we'll hang out with anybody. But as adults, uh, the standard is a little bit different. Um, we have people that we would call an acquaintance. You know, these people, we, we don't know their names, we just know their faces. You know these people, and we ran into somebody at the mall the other day, I was with um, uh, my kids, and, and this person came by and said, hey, Trent, how's it going? I said, hey, how are you? How's the family? Great, how's your family? Wonderful, hey, have a great Thanksgiving. Hey, you too, see you later. And we walked away, and my son looked at me, he said, dad, who was that? And I said, son, I have no idea. <laughs> He's like, well, why are you talking to him? And I was like, well, as adults, you know, especially in the South, we're just being friendly. This is somebody I probably should know. I don't know them, but I, I kind of, you know, recognize them a little bit. You know, we have the acquaintance and then we kind of have the next level, which is the casual friend. Now, the casual friend is somebody who you don't know their name, but you know that you should remember their name. You know, it's like, ah, what is that guy's name? He's got the hair that does that deal. And, you know, you start describing people, you know, she's the one with the curly, whatever. And, and so, you know, th those are the casual friends. And then, then we have the close friends. Now, the close friends, you know their name and you know the problems that they're going through. Why? Because with close friends, you talk to them all the time. You know, you spend time with them. You know what's going on in their life. They share personal things with us. And so we know their name, absolutely, and we know their problems. Now, the, the next level is, is what we might call an, an intimate friendship. Now, the intimate friendship is, is yeah, you know their name, and, and you, know, you know, like, the problems they're going through. And you're probably part of their problems, you know. This is like your wife or, you know, your husband. And so, so we, we have these different layers of friendships in our life. But when we ask the question, what does a real friend look like? All of us would agree, I believe. I mean, culture's saying it, the Bible would speak to it, and we all would agree. We, we would say that a true friend would, would show that love, would show that friendship, and make that evidence by their actions. And so this is really where we want to land today when we look at this passage of Scripture, because our series is called Love Does. And the whole concept for us when we think about love does is that if we truly love God, then our actions will be demonstrated toward that love. If we are committed disciples of Christ, then there's a change in our heart, there's a change in our life, and that would lead us to do certain things in our life. And we kind of show our faith, show that we are a Christian by the things that we do. And so as we look at James chapter two, we, we're gonna see what looks like a contradiction in scripture. Now, the Bible is, is God's inspired word. I believe wholeheartedly that God inspired men to write his very words. And so this is, this is God's word to us. 
There are no errors in God's word. We, we, we say that it is inerrant. And so it's in, infallible, inerrant. There's no mixture of errors in this, in this book. But at the same time, there are things in the Bible that can be difficult to understand, right? And so sometimes they're hard to understand and hard to kind of put together. And the reason is because of our sin, because of our culture, because of our, our bias in nature towards specific things. We kind of read the Bible through that lens and we can come to conclusions that aren't really the intention of the original author of the text. And so culture, um, bias, sin, all of that affects us. And so what we always have to do is understand what God intended for us to learn from this. We have to understand it through his lens and not just our lens. But when we read this part of of the Bible, we're going to see a a couple of verses. They're going to throw us for a loop here. And, 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 And it's because you've heard us say here, if you've been in Baptist churches, you've heard this often, that there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. And what that means is There's no amount of money that you can give. There's no amount of sacrifice that you can do in order to please God in such a way that he would say, you know what, that's a nice guy. I'm gonna go ahead and save him. We don't don't earn that salvation. God doesn't look, you know, in the future and because he knows, you know, the past, the present and the future, he doesn't look down the, you know, the chasm of of, of the future and and, and see, oh, Trent's gonna be a, you know, a pretty good dude. So I'm gonna save him at a young age. Now he doesn't do that. That would be based upon my work or my own effort or something that I do. We're completely saved by God's grace. Here's a few scriptures to, to realize. Romans 3, 28 says, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So all throughout Romans, this is part of Paul's argument that we are justified. In other words, we stand before God made right. Our relationship is restored before God, not because of our works, not because of things that we do, but strictly because of faith. Ephesians says this in in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. So that means is if there were a chance that there was something that I could do to earn my salvation because I'm a human, because I'm a sinner, then I would look at myself and say, look what I did. And I would brag about the fact that I did certain things to earn that salvation. And so God's point all throughout the scripture is that we are not saved by our works. We're not saved by things that we do. We're saved strictly on the basis of God's grace and uh, this faith that he allows us to have. So then, look at your Bibles. Let's go to verse 21 and see the contradiction that looks on the surface like we, we have here. In verse 21, it says, was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now, wait a minute. <laughs> All throughout the New Testament, we're not justified by our works. And then James here says that Abraham, because of what he did, he was justified by his works. Now jump down to verse 24. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Does Paul and James have this big disagreement? Is there a huge contradiction in the Bible here? What does this mean? Now, on the surface, you might look at this and say, yeah, I don't get all this. But you got to realize that, that words in their culture, context in their culture is always important when we understand the scripture. I mean, when you think about words, when you think about all the different languages that, that exist today, um, there are so many uh, things that get lost in translation, right? And so um, even our words, one word might have two or three or four different meanings, like the word bank. 
You know, when I say the word bank, you might be thinking of put your money into the bank, or you might be thinking about the hill next to the river bank, you know? You might argue with your friend about playing, you know, football today. And you might say, let's go play football after church today. But he's from Latin America. And you, and you might say, you know what? I don't want to play football. I want to play soccer, you know? But in Latin America, they call soccer football. And for some reason, we don't. I don't get that. But the point is, same, same concept, different words, different ways of explaining it. And so the same can be said about you know, our understanding of, of, of the text and God's word. And so in this passage of scripture, context is king. We have to understand the context around these, these verses. And, and we don't ever just want to take one verse, you know, out of the Bible and, and create some doctrine or, or some theology based upon one single verse that might be hard to understand or might be obscure. One of the most important rules of interpretation is you never take things out of context like that. And, and if there's ever a contradiction between one verse and another verse, then we have to dig a little bit deeper to understand why it looks like on the surface there's a contradiction. So what we're going to see today, and, and this is kind of the main idea. So if you're, if you're taking notes, if you're only going to listen to a part of the sermon, this is the part to get. And it's this, that our faith is not determined by what we do, it's demonstrated by what we do. And this is the point of this chapter. This is the point of, of James's discussion here. It's like our faith is not determined by what we do. In other words, we're not saved by what we do. However, what we do is demonstrating a faith that we have within our life, that something that we've committed ourselves to. And so if we can identify what a true friend is based upon their actions toward us, then I think it makes sense for us to look at our faith today and to realize, are we someone who has true, authentic faith or are we someone who would, who would have a fake or phony faith? And how do we know? Based upon our actions towards the person that we say we follow. So let's look at James chapter two and dive into the first few verses here. <clears throat> he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the, the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Here's a few things that I'd like, to, I'd like for you to write down today because this will help us as we, as we think through, is my faith genuine? Is my faith real? So there's two challenges here as we move through this, this material. Like, like on, on the first level, it's, is my faith real today? Or, or do, I, do I really need to make a decision to follow Christ? Is my, is my faith fake? Have I been faking it? Have I, is it phony? And does that need to change today? And, and secondly, some of you are like, well, no, it's not fake. I do have faith in Christ. However, I don't, I'm not doing what God is asking me to do and I'm living in disobedience. So it, for you, it's a, it's a day of repentance and it's a day of refocus and, and, and reorganizing your priorities in your life. And so what does real faith look like? Well, first of all, real faith is, is more than just talk. It's more than just words. And this is huge. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So here's a guy who is saying he has faith. It doesn't say he has faith. It says that he is saying that he has faith. And James' point here is, is simply saying you have faith does not demonstrate 
authentic faith. A Gallup poll shows us that there are over 50 million people in America that claim to be born-again Christians. Now, we know that is not the case. How do we know that? Well, a lot of these people don't have the evidence to show or to prove that they actually do believe in what they say they believe. Why? Because when we believe in something, there is a change in us and there's evidence of that faith. There's evidence of that belief. Jesus said it when he said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. His point is there's a lot of people that talk a good game. There's a lot of people that say they want to follow me or say they want heaven. But at the end of the day, only those who have genuine faith in Christ will inherit eternal life. Words are important, but actions always trump words, don't they? Um, a lot of you guys are married in the room, so think about your, your marriage. Um, I love my wife. If my wife said to me uh, 10 times a day, every day of my life for the rest of my life that she loved me, that would be all well and good. However, if she didn't back up those words by you know, rubbing my shoulders, because that communicates love to me, you know, I'm just gonna be honest, you know, that's a biggie. And if she doesn't make me a cheesecake a couple of times a year, you know, then there's, we got problems. I know, I'm easy. I'm easy, cheesecake and shoulder rubs, and I'm good to go. So if she doesn't do those things, then I know that there is trouble in the home, okay? There's, there's some issues that we need to, to work on here. But why? Because she can tell me all day long that she loves me, but if she's not doing those things that communicate love to me, then it's empty words. It just has no meaning to me at all, and the same can be true for you, I'm sure. James is saying that, that this real faith in our life is more than just words that we say. It's more than just things that, that, that we're saying we want to do or saying, saying that we believe in something. There is, there's much more to it. Real faith is not just something you say. It's something that leads you to action. And so he would say, you know, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and, and you don't do anything about it, and, and you're only saying that we should do that, then there's issues with your faith. There's issues with your relationship with, with the Lord. And so as a church, it's important for us. It's vital for us to not just to say that we wanna do these things. You know, not just say that we wanna make disciples, but it's important that we actually do them. It's important that we don't just, you know, say that we wanna make an impact in our city, but it's important that we actually do them. And so when we come to this season of the year, we always focus on our, our, our mission and, and what uh, we believe God is calling us to do and leading us to do. And so we've been talking about our Christmas offering, December 14th, because a lot of that offering uh, allows us to do these things um, that, we're, that we're so excited about doing. And, and as you prepare and pray through that, I wanted to take some time today to talk through what we wanna do in 2015, and, 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 but also start with some things that we did in 2014. I don't have enough time to cover everything, but I do wanna highlight a few things. And so if you'll put this up, guys, in 2014, this is where the, the Christmas offering went. And so um, NAM and the IMB are, the, are arms of the Southern Baptist Convention. It stands for the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board. And so what these two organizations are focused on is planning churches in North America and around the world. David Platt is now the president of the IMB. Uh, Dr. Kevin Ezell is the president of, of NAM. He came and spoke here um, uh, a little over a year ago. And so we believe in these organizations. They are doing an incredible job in, in planning churches and taking the gospel to unreached people groups all over, all over the world. And so uh, we, we gave to them. We're gonna continue to do that this year. Uh, mission trips. So a lot of the money that's given to um, the Christmas offering goes to 
uh, lower the cost of a trip so that more people can go. And so that's important. I mean, as we think about, you know, uh, uh, taking more people overseas and letting more people experience that and God's calling, I know many of you to, to take part in some of these trips. Um, this is an important process for us and, and uh, we wanna take more trips and we wanna do uh, more of this. And so this is a huge part of, of uh, the, the offering. Uh, the PRC is the Pregnancy Resource Center. And so we, we give, uh, a lot of you guys volunteer in that organization. It's an organization here in Blount County uh, that focuses on um, uh, mostly younger uh, women who have become pregnant and they're not sure what to do. Um, a lot of them are still entertaining the thought of maybe having an abortion. And so this is one of those organizations that's on the front line uh, fighting this battle and, and we believe in what they're doing. And, and so we support them financially. Uh, and we also send a lot of volunteers there. Um, uh, Kids Hope is what you just heard about. Um, and so what a great way to get into the public school system um, and, and minister to kids who otherwise aren't going to be touched with the gospel. So that's a great organization that we support financially. And we're also um, training leaders to be a part of that. Food for Kids. Um, one of our volunteers, Jason Shaw, has been running this for the last couple of years. And what we've been doing is, is um, creating backpacks with food and kids take this uh, uh, who need it uh, from uh, Alcoa Elementary School. And so the teachers identify those who, who need this. And so we make the food, we give that to them and they give that to the kids. And we've been doing that for a couple of years. That's a huge ministry. Uh, been doing that for some time. Deeper Still, uh, we highlighted this last year, but Deeper Still is an organization that, that will take those who have um, had an abortion or as a, as a man been in a relationship where the woman had an abortion. And through this experience and through their training and through their weekend, um, they help. Uh, heal some of the aftermath of, of, of some of those wounds. And so we support them financially. Uh, we have volunteers that work with them uh, through their retreats from our church. So we support them. We, ha we had them here last year. And we also provide, outside of what we give to them, we also provide gift, for, gift, uh, gift bag for every person that goes through uh, one of their experiences because we want them to know that no matter what they've done, um, there are churches that still uh, accept them and care for them and want them to experience God's grace. And so that's a great organization. Our global partners, we have two missionaries, uh, one in the Dominican Republic and one in Haiti that we support financially. Uh, we believe in what they're doing. We not only send teams there, but we do support them financially. And then last year, we also had uh, a budget relief. Now, if you'll remember, if, if you're new to the church, here's a little history for us. Last year at this time, our church doubled in size. We had just moved into this facility, uh, into this room. Our church doubled in size. And so we're excited that our church reaches um, younger uh, families, people that don't know Christ. So a lot of decisions, a lot of younger people in their faith um, come to our church. And so this is great. What that meant for us is that our costs went way up during that time, but, but people weren't giving. And so we had uh, a bit of, a, of an issue financially. And so we did a series, we preached through it, and then uh, it increased and we're still kind of catching up to our growth. Uh, but a lot of that went towards uh, our, our relief last year. And so let's look at 2015. Some of you have already checked out. And so here's 2015, check back in. I'll try to fly through this. I know this is a lot of details, but... NAM and IMB, we want to give them more because they're doing an incredible job. And so we want to be a part of what they're doing, and, and we believe in that. Um, mission trips, continue to go on mission trips to Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Last year, we went to, to DR twice. 
went to Haiti once uh, and uh, going to continue to do that this year as well. Continuing with Second Harvest, continuing uh, with PRC. Uh, FCA is a new one for us this year. Uh, Steve Llewellyn is the director of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Blount County, uh, doing an incredible job. One of our partners, a good friend, and uh, doing an incredible job. So we're going to support um, his mission and what uh, God is doing through him and his organization. Karma is not something new. That stands for the Knox Area Rescue Ministry. That's the inner city uh, ministry to homeless um, uh, individuals in our area. We've been working with them, and, and I've been volunteering down there, and, and we've been giving to them uh, for the last couple of years. But we really want to up that this year. We really want to make, uh, put that at the forefront of your minds and encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, so we're giving financially, and, and we're also going to be talking about that more this year. Safe Families is also something that, that's new for us. We talked about it last week. If you missed last week, you can go online and, and learn about that. Um, deeper still, continuing that. Community projects. Um, this is something that we decided to put in the budget because it was something that we continued to do anyway. And um, this is a, just one of those unique opportunities. We, we have needs come across, you know, by, via email or phone calls all the time. And we, we know we can't meet every need. Um, and Jesus didn't meet every need that he, that he saw. However, um, there are certain things that we just feel called to do and certain things that, that come up that we feel like we should be a part of this. And here's an example. Um, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, um, there was a, a family that needed wheelchair access to their home. Um, one of the people in the family um, uh, was handicapped and they couldn't get in their home any longer and so they needed a, a, a ramp to do that. If you know anything about that from a construction standpoint, it, it's a lot of money this family needed help. Uh, we found out about it through um, some friends and, and uh, long story short, our church paid for all the material and, and several volunteers from our church built this ramp for this person and um, gave them access to their home. And it was just a great thing, um, just meeting practical needs. And so community action are gonna be all kinds of projects like that as we come across them and as we feel led to do them. Uh, global partners, continuing that, upping that, and then invest. Um, invest is our vision for like the next step of Foothills Church. And so um, just to remind you, we're, we're, our plan is to purchase property next door to us and build a worship auditorium. We're in three services now and uh, we need more space for that. This becomes kids area. Um, I'll be speaking directly to that in January. Uh, but some would say, now why is invest in building a building part of, of the mission of, of the church or the mission offering? Let me just remind you that as Foothills Church goes, all of this goes. The reason why we can up the, up the offering to these organizations this year, the reason why we can add organizations this year is because our church is growing and because you are giving. If that stops, then everything on top here starts to, starts to feel the impact. And so there is no greater mission to Foothills Church than Foothills Church in making disciples in this city. And the growth of this church, uh, not only numerically, but spiritually and financially, is a huge part of our growth. And so getting into that facility, building that, is a huge part of doing that. When we get to that level, when we take that step, over here, we're going to need like another TV. You know, we're going to need like three or four TVs in a, in a few years to cover all the things that we're giving to and all the things that we're doing. Um, and so it's a, it's, a huge, it's a huge part of our mission. And so that's kind of what we did. This is what we want to do this year. Uh, a couple other things that we did. Um, we hosted um, a, a serve event in the community 
Um, that was a huge thing for our church. It's called Operation Inasmuch. Over 800 people from various churches in the, in the community gathered and, and we served and, and did all kinds of things. That was a big day for us. Uh, we had the whole entire city um, of Maryville school teachers in our building at the beginning of the year, which was an awesome thing to be able to um, encourage them and just let them use our facility. Things that we want to do even more. By the way, when we build our auditorium, we'll have the biggest auditorium in Blount County, which we'll be able to do things like that for all kinds of organizations in the future, which, which will be a great um, opportunity, great thing to do. Um, so things like that, our mission trips. Um, we've been sending volunteers to Second Harvest Food Bank for years now, and a lot of you guys are in a small group that are committed to doing that, organizing food and um, things like that on a regular basis. Brent mentioned the Christmas boxes and the Thanksgiving bags that we did. Um, and so on and on and on we could go. I could talk all day about the impact of our, our, our various volunteers and ministries that are in the community serving and doing uh, awesome things. Here are a few highlights. I say all this to say we're not just about talking about it. We're about doing it. Exactly what James is teaching us here in chapter 2. We want to do, and, and we want you to be a part of that. We don't want you to miss out on expressing your faith and demonstrating that faith. So real faith is more than just talk. It's more than just words. Secondly, if you're taking notes, real faith is more than just emotions. It's more than just emotions. Look again at verse 15 and 16. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So it's more than just emotions. Hey, be warm and be filled. You know, it's more than just sympathy. Oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. You know, I, we, we see commercials and we get teary-eyed, don't we? I watched the LeBron James commercial like 20 times now. Every time I see it, you know, with the whole, with the whole team and the whole city of Cleveland, it's just like, yeah, man. One, two, three, hard work. <laughs> you know, you're not with me on that one, but I am. I love it. <clears throat> you know, and so we get teary-eyed. We have sympathy for these people in need. But James would say, your faith is not authentic if it doesn't lead you to do something about it. I can't meet every need in the world and in our city, but I can meet some. And by the way, if I see a naked, hungry dude in the parking lot today, I'm gonna give him some clothes, right? And I'm gonna, gonna feed him. So as God puts these opportunities before us, we have to take a serious look at what God is giving us the opportunity to do and meet those needs. Like if we walk out in the parking lot today and you slip and you fall and you bust your head open and you're bleeding profusely and it's 20 degrees outside and everybody else is gone and I'll walk by and I see you there bleeding out and I say, dude, man, I'm so sorry you did that. But I'm really hungry right now. Like seriously, I could eat my arm. I'm so hungry. And so, you know, what, I mean, what is that? We do this every day, don't we? We see needs all around us and we just ignore them. We might feel bad for a season. We might you know, even shed a tear or two. But at the end of the day, what are we really doing to make a difference for it? You know, what are we really doing to put action to what we say we believe? What, what are you doing? You're doing a lot for your family. You're doing a lot at work. You're doing a lot athletically. I mean, you know, your kids and your family, all that stuff is wonderful. But what are you doing for the kingdom of God? If there's no evidence, then I would say your faith is fake. Your faith is phony, and it's time to do something about it. Real faith is more than just emotions. Look at 1 John 3, 17 and 18. 
it says this, but if anyone has the world's goods, so if anyone has the world's goods, that just simply means, you know, you've got clothes, you've got food, you've got a roof over your head, you've got the world's goods, and you see your brother in need, and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? This is very powerful. Like how, how can we say that God's love is within us if we see a brother in need and we close our heart to them in such a way that we don't do anything about it? He continues, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, stop talking about it. Don't love in word, love in deed. Meet that need. Do something about it. Practically, who can count on you when they're going through a difficult time? Who can call you up in the middle of the night when they have a problem or a need? What, what, what are you doing in God's church today that, would say, that we would say, you know what, if we didn't have this guy, I don't know how we would be able to function or how we would be able to do a, a specific ministry or specific thing. You know, what, what, what is it? that God's calling us to do that we're not doing. Real faith is more than just words. It's more than just emotions. You see, we, we're a lot better at verbalizing our faith than we are about actually practicing it. You know, and, and that has to begin to change because I, I believe God's word here is saying that if my faith doesn't lead me to share with others, it's, it's just absent. Look at verse 17 here in, in James again. It says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? It's dead. It's dead. Like if, if, if you don't feel like helping other believers, if you don't feel like helping other people, then you don't have a sick faith or a struggling faith. You have a dead faith. That should scare some of you. The fear of God should really wrestle with your spirit right now for some of you. Because we live in the South, and man, everybody I talk to, oh yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. They say it. Well, I mean, where are you going to church? Where are you serving? How much of your time have you dedicated to God's mission? Well, I don't. I'm not. I don't worry about that. Bro, I'm just telling you. When Jesus says, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, he's talking about that group of people. And so the point today is that we're not saved by our works. You know, we're, we're, it's not what we do that saves us, but our faith is demonstrated by what we do. And so we have to wrestle with that question, what are we doing? I remember as a kid learning the difference between an electric fence and a normal fence. You remember that day for you? Um, well, I guess it wasn't a close friend of mine. He, he knew, but he didn't tell me. And so I was just going to climb the fence just like I've climbed a million fences before. And uh, as I reached out to touch that fence to climb that, that sucker, a little tingling and a big shock hit me and uh, scared me to death. And, and that was the day I learned there's a difference, you know. And so then after that, it's kind of like, ah, uh, you know, got to make sure, you know, before I, I climb the fence. And, and see, you know, here's my point. Like, you know the difference between an electric fence and a barbed wire, or just normal fence, when, when you touch it, when you experience it. And, and so what, I, what I'm challenging you with on this deal is, is like, if, if the Holy Spirit of God really does live within you, then there would be a change. You would know it. 
there's a difference. You know, you, you can't just feel, you know, an electric fence and, and not feel it and not, you know, experience it. You know that it's there. And the same is true for your faith. Like if you've experienced the Holy Spirit, if he's within you, if you've committed your life to Christ, then there's a difference, there's a change. And we've got to understand that. It's more than just emotion. It's more than just what we, what we say. And number three, real faith is more than just believing, which is sometimes a little, you know, scratch my head on this one. It's more than just believing. Well, what do you mean? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. James is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You talk about it all day long, but I don't see any evidence of it. I'm gonna show you my faith by what I'm doing. I'm not gonna talk about it. I don't need to talk about it. You just look at my life and you will see my faith by what I am doing. Because there's a difference, there's a change. Verse 19, you believe that God is one? You do well, but even the demons believe and they shudder. In other words, even the demons, even Satan believes that Jesus is the son of God. Even, even Satan believes that Jesus died on the cross for sins. He just hasn't placed his faith and trust in Jesus. So belief alone is not enough for real faith. It's a part of it, but it's not the end of the story. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? That's a useless faith. If you're not doing anything, if it's not expressing itself, if it's not demonstrated, a head knowledge is not enough to save you. The word believe in Greek means to trust in, to cling to, to rely on, to commit yourself completely to and so my question for you is is, is, is that what you've been banking on? A belief. A belief in a certain God or a belief in Jesus, like on, on a surface level, like, yeah, he's the son of God. Like, I believe that church is important. I believe that faith is important. I believe that God created the, the world. But listen, if it's authentic, real faith, then it has, it's changed you and it's leading you to do something different with your life. It's not just simply believing. And then finally, real faith is something you demonstrate. Real faith is something you demonstrate. Let's read the following verses. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now here is that verse that kind of creeps us out. Like what is, what's the contradiction here? Let's continue though. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So when we read this, even though on the surface it looks like a contradiction, now that we've read a little bit more and if you read even more of the context, you realize that he is, he's, he's talking about a genuine faith and a fake faith. And so understanding that helps us interpret this passage. And so his point is that, you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on, on the altar. But, but Abraham already had his faith in, in Christ. It says here that, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So that's how in the Old Testament, someone was saved. They had faith in God and, and God counted it as righteousness by that faith that they placed in God. And because of that faith, then uh, Abraham began to express that faith in obedience. And the obedience that James points to is this, the sacrifice of his son. He, he 
created an altar. He went up on top of the mountain. He laid Isaac on, on the altar. He was about to sacrifice him when God said, no, stop. Now that I, I, I know that you believe, now I know that you have faith and you provided a ram in the bushes and Abraham sacrificed the ram instead. And it wasn't like God was saying, oh, now I know, finally I know. I didn't know, but now I know that you have faith in me. God already knew that. The whole point is that Abraham would have that experience and that Abraham would have the understanding that, oh man, I did have faith and this is what God is doing and here's how he's blessing. And and so the whole experience was for Abraham. And so James's point here is, is, is that Abraham's faith was expressed by walking in obedience even when it didn't look like a good idea, (laughs) even when he didn't understand what God was asking him to do, he followed and trusted God. And so what does faith look like for you? Well, real faith means that you're obeying God, even when you don't fully understand, doing things that you don't don't really think add up because of, of this and because of that, but you're doing it because God wants you to do them. You're walking in obedience. That's what faith looks like. That's what real faith looks like. So he gives that example. And then he says in verse 25, another example, he says, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So the second illustration is of this woman. She was a prostitute. Her name was Rahab. She had faith in God though at some point in her life. And because of this faith being expressed, there were two spies from um, the the, the Israelite uh, nation that came into Jericho. They were spying out the area to take over the land. The men in the area and the city found out they were there. They were coming to kill them. Rahab said, come with me, I'll hide you. I'll help you escape. So she hid them. She lowered them from a window, helped them escape. And so the point here that James is making is her faith was expressed And that action, she had faith in God. And because of that faith in God, it led her to do something crazy, like risking her life to save someone else's life. And so his point here is that her faith is expressed and demonstrated through her actions. And he closes this this passage by saying, faith apart from works is dead. It's dead. If you say you have faith, but there are no works, there are no Uh, demonstrations of that faith. It's not just a weak faith. Man, it's a dead faith. And if it is dead, you need Jesus. So for some of you today, it's like a a pride thing that you're going to have to overcome. I've been in church for a while. I thought this and I've always believed. No, we haven't always believed, by the way. Sometimes it feels like it if you grew up in the church, but there is a moment when we are saved. Salvation is an an, an experience. It happens in time. You're not just always saved. You're born a sinner. So at some point you are saved and and the spirit of God comes into your life at that moment. And, and, And for some of you, it's like you've just been kind of going through the motions, but there's not an authentic faith in your life. And some of you need Jesus today. And you're just gonna have to drop your pride and say, yeah, if I look at the evidence, if I look at my life, there, there is no proof that I have real faith. I've just been talking a good game, showing up at the right places at the right time. There's no evidence. Others of you that say, man, there's, there's some evidence here, but it's, you know, I need more. There's some disobedience in my life and I, I need to make some adjustments. And I would say, yeah, let's make them. When those are revealed to you, praise God that he reveals them to you. 
confess them, turn from those ways, and turn to obedience and what he's calling you to do. Get involved, begin to serve. Begin to express that faith that you say you have through ministry, through your actions. Love does. It doesn't just talk. It, it does something. It, it changes things. That's why Jesus calls us the, the salt and, and light of the world. Salt changes the flavor of food. Light changes the environment from darkness to light. There is a distinct change when a believer walks into the organization. When a believer sits around the table to make a decision about the company, there is a difference in how they view life. Are you making that evident? I think it's time. I think what we've shown you, what we want to do is just the tip of the iceberg of what this church is going to do. But it's going to take more of you committed to what God's calling you to do. More of you getting over yourself and your little world and your little 150, you know, bubble and realize that there's a huge world out there with huge problems and God's calling you and I to solve them. Would you pray with me? Father, there are difference makers in this room. There are people that are going to change the world in this room. As it stands right now, some of them are sleepwalking. And I pray, God, in the quietness of this room, your spirit would wake them up. Lord, we beg that you would change us, make us uncomfortable, break us out of the the normalness of life and help us to experience you in a fresh new way. God, I, I believe that nobody in this room wants to waste their life and nobody in this room is here by accident. And God, you are moving and doing amazing things in our city and in our world, but some of us are getting left behind because we're too focused on ourselves. God, we see that love does, love moves, love creates change. And we are change makers here today, but by the grace of God, we need your your, your spirit to move us and change us and to wake us up. And and God, I pray that this would be a different Christmas season for us. It'd be a a different train of thought. It'd be a different way of of doing life and that you would You would make us uncomfortable and disturb us in such a way, God, that we would see you more clearly and become obedient in all areas of our life. Lord, for those that don't know you, who've been been banking on this this false idea of of their faith and been lying to themselves about this and convincing themselves, I pray that you'll save them today. Lord, for the rest of us, we pray that this wouldn't just be something we experience today emotionally, but it would be something that you would resonate within our hearts and minds every day this week. As we focus on love does, Lord, we love you and we praise you for your word today. In Christ's name, amen. There's a decision you need to make today as you leave. The prayer and care room is open. We would love for you to spend some time there with our counselors. We're gonna continue this series next Sunday. We love you. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.